Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Billy Meeks. For those of you who don't know who Billy is, he's a professional rugby player. Previously for the Melbourne Rebels um, here in Australia, then he headed over to play with the London Irish Rugby Club, and he's now moved on to the LA Guiltinis, um, which we'll discuss in a bit more detail in today's episode. For those of you um, who want to know a little bit more about that, but Billy is an absolute legend of a bloke. He's also the founder of Bald Co., which again, we'll chat about in today's show but it was a really interesting chat um and i even learned a bit from today's episode as well so i hope you guys enjoy this conversation if you do please do take a screenshot of today's episode and post it on instagram story for me tag myself tag billy i would love to get your feedback from the show and again thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode billy meeks welcome to the fitness and lifestyle podcast brother it's good to see your pretty face Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's really an honour to be on. I've, I listen to your podcast frequently and I've been waiting for the day for you to ask me. So thanks for having me on, brother. Messages mustn't have come through. I've been sending them for a while now, but uh, <laughs> pleasure to have you on, man. Um, so tell us tell us what you're up to, brother. You've just um, just left London quarantine at the moment in um, in LA before you get started with a new team. But um, we could probably, we should probably backtrack a little bit here for those that haven't really um, heard much about your story or, or kind of know who, who you are and what you've been up to recently. So um, recently been playing with the Melbourne Rebels here in, in Melbourne and Victoria, obviously, and then quarantine hits last year and shit kind of hits the fan and then, um, and then had a bit of a change of, uh, change of or turn of events, I guess. So what happened uh, once you finished up at the Rebels, you've just spent some time in London um, with the team over there. So you want to talk us through kind of like what, what that situation was finishing up with the rebels and heading over to the UK. Yeah, sure. So um, it was a you know, pretty wild 12 months from now until this time last year. So everything was going pretty normal. Uh, it was, it was my last season with the rebels and the super rugby. And then obviously COVID hit and we had to relocate our whole team um, pretty much within a couple of days to the East coast. We we're based in Terrigal. Um, and we ran our comp as normal, but just in Australia. So normally the Super Rugby obviously is a global game. We play in South Africa, Argentina, Japan, uh, New Zealand, and teams from all those countries. So they quickly scrapped that and we had an Australian competition, uh, which was actually really cool just to play against Australian teams for once and just concentrate yeah. on playing against your direct competition. Uh, and then, so we finished up there and I, I had signed a, a deal with LA um, already before finishing up with the Rebels. Um, but with COVID and everything, I couldn't get to LA straight away. So it looked like I was going to be stuck in Australia, sort of training on my own for four or five months, um, yep. which would have been fine. It would have been a nice break, uh, but an opportunity came up to play in London, which uh, I've obviously played here before when I was a bit younger and to play in the premiership over here is obviously one of the best competitions in the world. And um, yeah, to, to play in London was, was just an opportunity I couldn't turn down. So I just spent the last three months playing for London Irish in the premiership. And albeit COVID um, and restrictions and lockdowns and stuff like that, uh, we still got managed to get a few games in. And yeah, I had a hell of a time. And it's it's always it's always good to be playing top flight rugby and challenge yourself and learn new things. So that was a really cool experience and really grateful I got that opportunity. Uh, and now yeah, back now I'm here in LA and quarantining before starting up with the Guiltinis, which again is an exciting opportunity for me. Epic, brother. We'll, we'll chat a bit. So, it's Guillotini is the name of the team? Awesome. Guillotini, we'll, uh, yeah. It's, nice. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll, we'll chat a bit more about that um, soon. But backtracking a little bit, you mentioned so in your juniors, you'd, you'd played over in London before, had you? I played when I was 21 to, for three, three oh, or four okay. years. So, yeah, yeah, I played here for a bit. Awesome. And so going all the way back, where did your kind of career start off with? Like, where did you grow up? And because um, like, I, don't, I don't actually even know this. Um, where, whereabouts did you grow up and um, and where did you play your juniors and what was that process? I think I, I would pretty confidently say that a lot of the listeners are probably more so um, in tune with the career path of, of an AFL player, um, mm-hmm. just going off the audience and, and some of the guests we've had on. So what's like that career path like for for rugby and and how did you kind of come up into and end up in the pros uh so i started i started playing rugby when i was maybe four or five years old like super super young yeah and i grew up in manly on the northern beaches in sydney um and played heaps of sports played rugby league uh, never played afl but uh, obviously lots of nippers on the beach and you know, super active kid uh, and then probably my rugby got a little bit more serious when I went to high school. I went to a school called St. Joseph's College or Joey's, uh, which is a pretty um, profound rugby school in Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where my dad went. And uh, yeah, the rugby program there is pretty elite. And it's probably there that I really fell in love with the game. Um, I was definitely more of a sporty kid than a, um, than a book smart kid. Uh, and then... I probably wasn't the most talented rugby player. I was always in like the A's team, but I was never like the best player. And uh, I was always sort of knocking on the door for representative stuff after school, but never quite made the teams like out and out. Um, Obviously when you finish school um, playing rugby in Australia, you have Australian schoolboys, which I didn't make. Um, And then after school you have club rugby and I was playing first grade. And then you have Australian under twenties, which, I didn't actually make, I didn't get picked for, but someone got injured in my position. So I ended up getting called up and we played the Junior World Cup in Italy. So stuff like that, like I never probably was good enough to make, but was lucky enough to get an opportunity to play. Um, and then I suppose the, the unique thing about rugby is it's a global sport, as I said. So unlike rugby league, I suppose they play it in, in England, but it's predominantly in Australia and New Zealand. And AFL is just in Australia. Um, rugby is a global sport, so there's opportunities everywhere. And if you don't make it in Australia in one of the, in the five Super Rugby teams, then you do have an opportunity to go elsewhere, which is what I did when I was 21. I flew to England and took up an opportunity uh, with Gloucester, which again is a club in the Premiership, a huge club with a rich history. And um, yeah, it was probably there being in a professional program day in, day out that I probably just, just got so much better. Like I was always a good natural mm. footy player, but probably just wasn't, at that level and I needed to be nurtured in a, in a professional environment and that's where I really thrived. So um, given that opportunity, again, there was a few guys ahead of me that got injured. So I got an opportunity to play, played well. And then off the back of that, just, just got so hungry to get better and sort of be the best. And yeah, that's sort of where I ended up. And then back obviously playing from England, I went back to super rugby, lived in Perth for a year, played for the Western force and then rebels for three years. And then yeah, I'm back here. Unreal, man. So what, for those that are listening that don't know the difference between Super Rugby and like NRL, like Rugby League, mm-hmm. what, are the main, what are the main differences between the two? And is there much crossover? Like do guys go kind of down either path depending on which opportunity they get or is it just completely different? Uh, so I think some people that don't know much about either game, they probably look um, really similar and there is definitely a lot of similarities. 
probably just some slight rule changes um, with the set piece stuff. So in rugby union, you have line outs and scrums. In rugby league, you don't. Um, mm -hmm. In rugby league, you have a set amount of time you have with the ball, so with six tackles. In rugby union, you have unlimited until you turn the ball over or score a try. Yep. Um, but in terms of actual athletes and players, there is a lot of crossover. Uh, and you're seeing it more so now. Um, I think, unfortunately for Australian rugby union, uh, there's not, not as much money as there is in rugby league in the sport. So right. guys that, are, that would naturally come out of school playing union um, would now transfer to league because there's so much money and opportunity, um, which is obviously been at the detriment to Australian rugby union. But um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say rugby league and rugby union are pretty similar, to be honest. Um, just a few slight rule changes. Yeah, right. And you mentioned before, like being in that professional environment, that's when your game really started to skyrocket. Did you think it was... Was there anything in particular? Was it starting to not being forced, but like being in the culture or the um, environment where maybe nutrition and yeah, physical preparation was a bit more um, intense or disciplined? Um, was it just having more time on the field every single day and practicing and having the ball in your hands more? Was it the pressure of being in an environment where others are, you know, maybe playing or training with guys that are better than you, so you're constantly playing at a, at a higher standard? What was? What do you reckon was the main? kind of factor that that skyrocketed the game because i mean you can get i could go and start training with a, a rugby league teammate and i'm fucking no chance i'm going to be any better <laughs> well i'm not going to be playing rugby league next year so what was the biggest biggest factor for you uh it was definitely yeah, it was a combination of all those things i think i think being in a professional environment day in day out with guys that are all on the same page working towards a common goal pushing each other every day was something that i probably hadn't experienced every single day um and being in professional environment like Gloucester with people that I watched growing up um, best players in the world in their position teaching me things that I'd never even thought about um, probably the whole analysis side of the game that I didn't really delve much into when I was a junior but like uh, analyzing your opposition yeah um, working with the S&Cs around you know what what's the best attributes for my position is it power is it speed is it maybe working on my skills a bit more because I'm not going to be a running athlete? Um, do yeah. I need to work on my kicking game? Probably not because it's not you know specific to my position. Stuff like that. And just learning the, the ins and outs of being a professional. Um, as you said, nutrition was a massive thing. You learn about what you need to eat, how much sleep you need to get, um, how important recovery is, the effects of alcohol in your system, um, the importance of alcohol for a team environment and you know balance and stuff like that, which you learn sort of as you get a bit older. And yeah, probably just a combination of all those things. And I think the biggest thing that made me actually get hungrier and better was playing well and realizing that I could be as good as these guys and play at the same level as them. So I remember there you was think a that was more of a mind, you, you think that was more of a mindset thing, like a limiting self belief that you had before that because you hadn't been at that level Definitely. yet, you were, you didn't feel like you're the same thing. But once you get there and you realize that they're the same as you, they they're just put in probably more time up until that point. Um, it's a limiting, like self-limiting belief, I guess, that you that you can't be as good as that. But once you unlock that potential, like all of a sudden, that completely changes. That's mate. That's a, that's literally exactly what it is. Like I remember, I remember it vividly after my second game, and I, both games I played well, and I was like, I, I, I wasn't meant to play well in my head. I wasn't because I hadn't played at that level. I hadn't played in front of twenty thousand people before. I hadn't yeah. played against internationals or with internationals, but I played well. I was scoring tries. I was setting up tries, and it was like shit, I'm actually like good at this, you know, like how good can I get? Like now I'm one of the good guys. Can I be one of the best guys? You know, like 
Um, and it was just unlocking that self-belief and, and even just like a little pat on the back from a coach or someone that's been around the game for so long saying, man, you're like, you're pretty good. Like, um, you know, stuff, stuff like that, that I've learned that I now pass on to younger guys. And yeah, yeah it's a cool, cool sort of journey like that. All right, guys, today's episode is brought to you by JBL and specifically their new Under Armour True Wireless Streak headphones. They're engineered to maximize performance and minimize size with JBL charged sound. A lightweight waterproof design with sports flex fit ear tips provides optimized comfort and a secure fit tested by athletes. You guys are going to absolutely love them, specifically the features such as the bionic hearing, which you guys have to try yourself to see what it's like, but I've been using these over the past week, um, you know, listening to podcasts, music while I train, even just going for a walk with Russ and stuff like that. And um, they've got a really good sound. Also, they are powered up for 18 hours. The battery life lasts up for 18 hours and um, you guys will have to try it out for yourself. You can use the code DJK25 on all JBL products for the next few weeks um, to get 25% off any of their products. But I'd love for you guys to try these headphones out let me know what you think so again a big thank you to jbl for sponsoring today's episode have you found obviously um you haven't played in la yet or you haven't really been mm-hmm. obviously still in quarantine so you haven't spent much time with the team or anything but is the culture much different from country to country like is it different did you find it was much different um outside of or even at training and stuff but outside of training um obviously the actual countries are different but the guys that you play with and stuff, is there much difference between cultures from, say, Australia to the UK? Uh, yeah, there's always different cultures at different groups. Um, I think the style of play is definitely different in Australia and in England, and it's been cool to experience both of them. Um, but I'd say that the rugby culture in general is is a pretty old one and pretty similar at most places in that it's a, it's a extremely respectful game. You know, we go out for 80 minutes and rip each other's heads off but there's there's this underlying respect for each other um at the end of the game and um that's something that i've seen in in all different clubs um yeah probably say i'd probably say it comes comes from the senior players the culture that's that's driven into the club um i'd probably say the rebels group that i was a part of for the last three years is hands down the best culture i've been a part of and that's not to to take away from any other cultures i've been a part of it's probably just um, you know, pat on the back to the senior guys that were there, the coaching staff that yeah. created a culture that we, we were just, sounds weird, but so in love with the place and so in love with each other as a group that we would just love going to work and spending time with each other and yeah. getting up out of bed is exciting to go to training. I and mean, you, you wouldn't want to leave early. You'd want to do your extra stuff like that. So creating a culture from the top down that people want to be a part of, um, you know, I felt that personally at the Rebels. Man, I think that's so important, not only with sporting teams, but um, obviously on the show, I get to talk to different business people and, and stuff as well. And, and the importance of culture is just like insane, the differences between companies and how successful a business is, depending on what their culture is like, is just crazy. And I've seen it mm-hmm. firsthand as well, like even like places and stuff that I've worked out of or people that I've worked with, the differences between when there is a really good culture and when there's not is just super significant. Do You, you mentioned before about... Um, about uh, the mindset sort of stuff. We talked about self-limiting beliefs and stuff like that. Um, for anyone that follows you on, um, on socials, mate, sees that you're, you've been into meditation quite heavily now for um, about, what was the past kind of 12 months roughly or even longer than that Two, for you? 272 days today. Okay. Thanks for the specific answer yeah. there, Billy. Um, no worries. Had that one prepared for me. Um, hey, look, I've got my book here. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Well, look, man, I obviously um, I talk heaps on the podcast about how how important and the and the benefits I've seen from the mental health side of things in regards to meditation, journaling, all that type of stuff. So, 272 days. How much of an impact have, has that had on you? Do you think um, not only like mentally, but even maybe even your performance at training and in games, and just how you kind of carry yourself outside of the sport as well? Um, you're doing. I know you do a bit of journaling and stuff too. So how? What impact has that had on you? Uh, but it's had a huge impact. I, I probably say, I say this to a lot of people, it's not like a tangible impact and something that you can say this is exactly what it's done. Um, and firstly, I, I've actually got you to thank for being on this journey because you actually obviously drive it big time. And, um, you know, I got all my sort of tips and how I, how I run my morning routine off of you. So thanks for that. Um, but yeah, the meditation side of things, I think the biggest thing it's given me is, is guidance throughout the day um, and giving me a purpose. Yeah. I think um, specifically with rugby, uh, sitting down for 10 minutes at the start of the day, away from my phone, away from everything, and just think, and just, just being present, but then planning, writing down my intentions for the day. They're not always rugby specific, but it might be something that I just want to tick off at training. It just gives me a little bit of guidance throughout the day and a bit of clarity. Um, and it's, it's weirdly something at the start that I obviously struggled with a lot trying to do it because it felt like a chore. But now it's, it's something that I literally cannot start my day without doing it. Like it just feels mm. so wrong. And like I'll, I'll push things out of the way to, to do it. Um, I, think, I think the other side of things is probably the journaling, which I probably only started um, late last year into early this year. And that's, that's something that I've just found so amazing read mm. like even reading back like what i've read the night before and you or reading back a few days ago and you're like far out you're in this headspace and this happened and you sort of just don't realize that you were going through that at the time um that's been really powerful me for me but um yeah man i'm, I'm loving it like it's it's definitely helped me a lot um on the field and um, probably more so off the field it's funny when i started um i haven't got the specific days for you but i started jan 1st 2017 um doing my meditation um but like the first year because it was a goal for me that year to meditate each day because i'd done it for a short period of time previously and and enjoyed it but just fell off the wagon and it just wasn't it wasn't a uh it wasn't a priority so i just didn't just didn't do it um but i i chose to try and do it daily for that year of 2017 and i was doing like there'd be days where i'd fucking get home and do like a two minute meditation and be doing something else at the same time just to tick it off and say that I'd say that I'd done it. But now like I wake up in the mornings and genuinely like look forward to sitting there for, you know, I'm doing 20 minutes a day at the moment. I've even started doing it at night and it's something that I just, I know Mm. how good I can feel afterwards and how much of an impact it has. So it's now it's like something that I genuinely look forward to and want to do. Um, and, Mm. And the difference in that is awesome. So for anyone listening that has tried, tried head, uh, meditation sorry or is only just starting like don't expect it to happen straight away and there's still days now where i'll do it for 20 minutes and and get to the end of it and be like fuck i don't think i even like i was thinking about other shit the whole time but yeah you do sure. you, it, they say it takes literally like one split second throughout that whole meditation of you to become completely present or to not think or do event do anything at all and the impact of that is so significant so i love it now but you mentioned the journaling stuff as well and i agree like you look at I'm trying to get in the habit now of thinking back, you know, the good days or the good weeks where things are going super well or maybe the opposite when they're not going as well and go back and have a look at what I was writing down that day. And, and if it is mm. the days that are good, like how can I replicate that and, and, and do it moving forward? I've just, um, 
just finished up a, I just did a 12 week kind of mentorship course. Like, a, um, it was like called like a modern man mentorship course all around mindfulness and, um, and vulnerability and all that type of shit. And we, we were talking last night, we had our last session and we we're talking about the impact of doing the journaling and meditation and also kind of like something that you do really well and sharing it through your socials, how that can impact others initially, you know, particularly for guys, it's probably something that, that most guys would look at and be like, what fuck's this? Or this is not yep. something that I could ever see myself doing. And I was the same as well, but have you noticed like teammates or even friends or people that do follow you reach out or kind of mention to you that they've now taken kind of a leaf out of your book? Um, no yeah. pun intended. And, uh, and <laughs> your journal and have started it themselves yeah i think um i think it's a really good point i'm glad you brought it up because i remember at the start i probably felt i probably did feel a little bit uncomfortable sharing it because it was a little bit of a taboo subject um yep. and maybe it's not stigmatized but like it just wasn't something that i don't know men did or even women but it just it just wasn't a thing um, maybe it was seen as being vulnerable i don't know but like at the, the I start remember of, when i, I felt, when i first yeah. did it i was like oh fucking only like hippies or like kind of yeah, those that are right exactly. into yoga and all this type of shit that's just, that's the yeah. only type of people that would do it that's that's kind of the even i was thinking that myself i was like yeah. what am i doing here? yeah yeah i was the same and yeah. and i think and i think probably people at the start probably did look at it and go like why is he doing that why is he sharing it? that's kind of that's kind of weird like you're a rugby player like shouldn't you be in the gym smashing weights and you know having beers yeah. and you know hanging out with the boys and whatever um but it is hands down like I, I tell everyone it is hands down the number one thing that i get asked about on my instagram <laughs> every single day there there'd be at least a couple of people that message me going hey what's your morning routine how are you finding yeah. meditation um what are you what are the benefits from it like so many people behind closed doors are invested or interested in it. Um, so there's definitely like an interest there out there for it and it is becoming more normal. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, the, the change from day one to now is like astronomical. It's funny. Like even the shows that I've been a guest on recently, it's it, like say 12 months ago would never have come up. Whereas now, like probably the mm. main topic of the, the shows is what's your morning routine? Like, what do you do yeah. for meditation? Do you journal? Like, what do you do every single morning when you wake up? And it's just, yeah, it's good. It's good to see. And, um, and I'm very similar. Like people, that's, that's one of the number one things I'm getting at the moment too is, um, you know, I've made a few templates and stuff for journaling and people asking to, to use those and, and all that type of stuff. So it's, it's awesome. Do you find something that I um, find interesting to ask different athletes mm. is um, in different sports is how, what's your process with dealing with a shit game or, or like a close loss? Um, or you know what I mean? Like something where you get to the end of the game and it's hard to not overthink. It's hard not to let it consume you. Like, do you have a, a set process or is it more so just kind of deal with it as it comes? Yeah, I, I think up until about maybe 12 months ago, a year and a half ago, I didn't have a process around it and losing a game would feel like the end of the world. I would feel um, like I didn't have a purpose. Like, I mean, I look back and it, it just seems ridiculous because... <laughs> Like, I mean, our, our coach at the Rebels always used to say rugby is just a game. We play for fun. Like, you know, there's going to be someone that wins. There's going to be someone that loses. Like, at the end of the day, there's there's a lot bigger shit going on in the world than just a random game of rugby. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, like, for someone that dedicates, their, like, every single day to winning, losing is obviously quite a big deal. Um, so... Uh, you'd probably be more worried about that. You'd probably be more worried about it if you just had no care at all. You didn't you care. Won or lost. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 
Um, I think I think so. The process that that I've sort of learnt to to go through after a game, um, regardless if I'm winning or if I'm losing, um, is after a game within the next sort of that night. If I get home, if it's an Arvo game or if it's a night game the next morning, sitting down and writing three things down, like three headings, and it's what did you do well. So regardless, especially if you lost, what did you do well? You might feel yeah. like. And then you start to write things down like, oh, geez, I actually made all my tackles. So, like, that was a good thing. Um, you know, I, I put someone in for a trial. That was a good thing. Like, we lost, but I was doing some good things. Um, what, what did you do bad? Okay, there's a couple of things that I can work on. And then what, what, what can you work on? So, there's three things, good, bad, and then what can you work on? And then it almost just gives you a little bit of, like, closing the door on that game. So, that game's done. And then it gives you, right, these are things I need to work on. This is what I'm going to work on for the next few days leading up into the next game. And it sort of just parks that. Once I've done that process, I can feel shit. I can feel down. Yeah, we lost. But now it's all about, I mean, the beauty of sport is that you get another opportunity to go again. Um, and, you know, the difference that a week can make is, is huge. You know, you can be losing to a team one week and then the next week you're beating top of the ladder and you, you feel like you're on top of the world. And it's literally seven days later. So um, I think I think dealing with it then and there, um, straight away and then moving on is probably the process that I go through. Yeah. I like that. That's really good. That's interesting. Uh, but just as I mentioned before, I started doing a nighttime meditation. Um, it's just a guided one by um, Dr. Joe Dispenza and he, he kind of goes, so he kind of just like a guided, just kind of like asking questions and getting you to think about shit as you go through. And it's kind of like, you know, what, what, what about today? Are you not happy with like, think about, watching from the outside in if someone was to watch how you behave today or watch what impact you had, like whether you'd be happy with it or not. And then certain things that, that probably aren't as aren't what you would like them to be. Like how would you do that differently tomorrow if you could, but then finishing off the, the meditation mm. with now think about the things that you are exceptionally happy with today. And you know, the acts that you, you did that uh, in, in align with the values that you want to portray and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, it's good. You kind of have both, both sides of it and, mm kind of comes down to that cliche saying of, you know, you either win or you learn. Um, yeah. And it's just super important. But I find as well, like it's, it is really important after a loss or after something you fail at or you get rejected or whatever to not just kind of push it to the side and brush it off because even though you may not want to think about it, like there's so much value that can be taken away from that, from that loss. Definitely. And if you're just constantly not, not recognizing it, then don't be surprised if you keep doing the same shit over and over again. Never learning. Yeah, I agree. So true. What's uh, life outside of um, outside of sport? What's it like for you? Like, I know you're a pretty social bloke, and you got a bit going on, even business wise and stuff outside of rugby. Do you find that pretty important to have things outside of the sport so it doesn't become too consuming for you? Definitely, I think I think balance with with anything is is super important. Um, you know, for me, I always wanted to do something. You know, and still, like, right off the bat, I still don't know what I want to do after rugby. And rugby, yeah. a professional sport, is such a unique environment that you almost you almost live your life backwards in the sense that you do your job up until you're 35 and you make probably the most money you're going to make for a lot of people. And then you finish and it's like, bang, then you're back to square one and you're chasing a job in either the corporate world or whatever it is. Like, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a bizarre situation. So... Um, probably as I'm getting a little bit older, it's more about, um, trying to do stuff on the side of rugby, uh, to keep me occupied. I know like when you're younger playing rugby, you, you train, you come home, you play PlayStation or something, you have beers, you go out with the boys, you train again. And it's just like yeah. this cycle and which is awesome. Cause rugby is like your, your number one and you're trying to make it to the top and 
mm. you're doing whatever whatever on the side. But um, yeah, probably in the last couple of years, I've, I've started to delve into other stuff. Obviously, got the bald, um, yeah, the brand, uh, which is which has been a really cool learning experience. Um, and it's something. It's not never. There was never something that I wanted to make heaps of money from or grow to be this massive thing. But it was just something to learn about the business side of thing whilst yep. I'm still playing rugby, which has been really cool. Um, the do's and don'ts. I've had lots of failures with it, and you know, some great successes as well. So that's been a really cool journey. Is that something um, that you've done by done on your own? Have you got any partners in that, or is that something you've just you've set up by yourself and just kind of done a bit of trial and error and and take it as it comes? Um, yeah, no, com- completely on my own. I've, I've def- I, had, awesome. I had a little bit of help setting the website up. Obviously, yeah. I had no idea how to do that. Um, shout out to Lukey Young for helping me with that. But uh, besides that, mate, I've sort of done it on my own, just speaking to the the people in China, finding a supplier, um, doing the designs with the design team, which was all pretty basic, yeah. and then getting getting um, pre-production done, getting samples made, ordering, selling. Like it was, yeah. We've, figure- uh, Danielle and I are just in the process of doing something pretty cool with some some activewear stuff. We're going through like that that process at the yeah. moment. We're like, yeah, maybe like a, a month and a bit away from being able to launch, but it's been just such a long, tedious process. And yeah. and I mean, uh, I don't know if you found the same thing. Like, particularly, you know, coming from me playing a sport as a junior as well, but then also now in business where like my own boss. Um, a lot of the stuff I do is kind of me putting out content or whatever. So if there's something that needs to be done, it's kind of up to me to do it and I do it and then I can, I either, it either does well or it doesn't do well, but I'm not relying on anyone in between. Something that I found so fucking hard is yeah. having like two or three people to go through and it just, you're constantly relying on someone else. I don't know if you found the same thing, but geez, it was, it was challenging and something completely different for me is to not be able to just, know that something needs to be done and just get it done you're constantly waiting and, and having to, to be patient with it all that was super yeah. difficult yeah it's definitely been it's definitely been a journey and a, and a bumpy ride but you sort of you learn how to deal with people i suppose um in that sense and like covid was like a whole nother beast i'm sure you're dealing with that at the yeah. moment like the my manufacturers shut down their whole warehouse and like i didn't hear from them for like a month and then found a new supplier now who have now gone on um, holidays for a month and just stuff like that that you just like. Chinese New Year. Come on, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to order some clothes and sell some clothes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just get done. But um, yeah, that's cool. It definitely keeps me occupied outside rugby, um, which yeah, which has been awesome. Um, what I was going to say to you next is oh fuck, how uh, how has things been quite difficult? I mean, a, a pretty straightforward answer I would have thought, but how has it been um, having to be apart from Michelle for so long? And I mean, like, cause you're, cause you obviously are away in like the, uh, the hub first. And I know you guys weren't yep. together for a lot of that as well. And then coming back and then kind of knew that you were going to be, you thought you were going to be here for a while. And I remember we were doing a session um, at my old place and that was when you kind of just mm. found out about the UK. So that was a quick turnaround That's as well. Right, so yeah. has that been quite difficult? Um, mate, it's been, it's been really difficult. It's, it's, yeah, like we're only talking about the last couple of days, Michelle and I, that, in the last like seven, seven or eight months, we've spent like two or three weeks together, which like is crazy. Um, And, you know, we did long distance at the start of our relationship when I was living in Perth and she was living in Sydney. And so it's like, it's nothing new to us. Like, I mean, it's shit. Like it is is Mm -hmm. what it is. Um, But, you know, we've, we've obviously learned ways to deal with it. Um, We both accepted the situation. um, And I think communication is probably the biggest thing. Like, we find that it's it's everything's okay. We're just talking to each other on the regular. Um, 
sometimes it gets pretty boring, but um, yeah, just, mm. just having a conversation every day and catching up and trying to be as present as possible. We've both got a lot going on. So just, just being good listeners, I suppose. Um, and then I suppose as of recently, Michelle's obviously um, got a new role in LA, which will be based in LA, which is super exciting. Um, and people don't believe this, but it was completely a coincidence. Um, like I signed in LA before Michelle even knew she could come. Um, and then she got offered, offered an opportunity that just happens to be based in LA. So um, that's that's sort of our light at the end of the tunnel at the moment, um, which will hopefully be the you know, first week of April. So another six weeks and we'll be back together. And um, yeah, no, I miss her like crazy. And the same with, with Leia, our little dog. So yeah, it's been yeah. tough, mate, but um, I know that I'm doing the right thing. And, um, you know, I always preach to sort of chase your dreams and, um, never give up an opportunity. So for me, the last six months have just made me, me, me been doing that and living that. And Michelle understands that she's doing the exact same thing. So same thing, yeah. um, it's, it's all going to be worth it, mate. Um, and I know that. So yeah, it's all good. Unreal, mate. And, and um, heading over to, well, now that you're over in LA, um, once you're out of quarantine, what's that look like? Are you straight into when's the season start? Um, are you, in quarantine now, are you able to train physically at all? Or are you just giving your body a bit of a break since leaving since leaving the UK? What's that look like? And and yeah, how long's the season? What's the setup over in LA? Yeah, so LA is a really exciting opportunity. Obviously, it's it's called Major League Rugby. That's the competition. It's been running for a few years now. Uh, it's probably not at the level that um, Super Rugby is at or Premiership, where I've recently played. It's it's definitely a growing sport in America. Um, with a lot of following, they have a really good sevens program. Um, and it's just an opportunity that is, that is super, super exciting to be a part of a team. The, the LA team I've signed for doesn't exist yet. This is the first year that will be in the competition um, with a really passionate owner who's come in and he's got some crazy ideas to sort of change the way things are done um, and maybe traditional rugby teams operate, which was exciting for me to be a mm. part of, obviously being... I suppose a senior player now um, to be a part of that and create a culture like we touched on earlier uh, is a really, really cool opportunity. Um, obviously living in LA on its own <laughs> is an opportunity in itself that um, I, you know, I jumped out straight away, but preseason starts uh, as soon as I get out of the hotel. Um, the first game is on the 20th of March. So pretty soon. So we're in preseason at the moment and the, the comp runs until August uh, 1st and obviously with COVID, um, they're still trying to figure out what the travel will look like. Obviously, mm. there's the East and Western Conference and um, the traveling might be a bit difficult at the moment, but they're trying to figure that out. But uh, it's cool, man. Like, you know, if someone told me at the start of my career I get to play professional rugby in LA um, full-time, you know, I'd, I'd tell them they're crazy because rugby wasn't a thing in America. But now it's this growing beast. Um, I've got every every belief that it's going to be the next big thing uh, in America. I reckon in two or three years' time, there'll be players from all over the world like really, really trying to come. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool for me to be a part of it from the start. And in terms of training stuff in the hotel, this is probably like my third or fourth quarantine I've had to do in the last seven months. So I'm getting pretty used to it. Um, you know, it's not easy sitting in a room and being on your own, but um, obviously the meditation stuff helps, doing my own training helps, um, reading books, trying to get as much fresh air as possible um, and speak to family and friends and just, just get through it. Uh, yeah. I know that training's going to be pretty tough on the other side. Yeah. Enjoy it while it lasts. You, um, are you expecting it to be, I'm not too sure what, what it's like, but are you expecting 
the whole like showtime aspect of the sport over there to just be com- something completely different to obviously what you would have experienced here. I mean, it seems like every single sport in the States is particularly um, super focused on, on the entertainment and, and, you know, obviously the high quality, uh, high quality sport and athletes, but the effort that goes into, to making it a sport, a spectacle, I guess, for, um, for those that come and watch it is pretty full on. So is that something that, that, that you're looking forward to and obviously be probably a little bit different than what you've experienced before? Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think the entertainment side of things is one of the most exciting parts. Obviously, as you said, Americans just do it so well. The experience Mm. they provide for fans around the actual product itself is, you know, world-class. And I think, you know, I've, I've sort of heard whispers about the entertainment side of things in rugby. I think, it's no secret that rugby at the moment in America isn't really something people are going to pay to go and watch just yet. Um, so yeah. you, you are, you are going to have to provide them with an alternative, uh, which is probably entertainment. <laughs> so maybe putting a headline act on before the game and saying, you have to be, you have to stick around for the game or you have to watch the game before you can see the act, stuff like that to get bums on seats. Um, but I know that there's been uh, a lot of a huge focus on the entertainment side and, uh, yeah, I think I think everyone's going to be pretty shocked as players to see how different it is in America in terms of entertainment and stuff like that. Pretty cool. Awesome, brother. Well, mate, good luck for the for the season ahead, and good luck for the move, and good luck for the rest of your time in uh, in quarantine. Don't drive yourself too nuts. Um, but appreciate your time today, man, and looking forward to seeing how the year pans out for you. And um, and yeah, congratulations on everything so far, and hopefully it keeps moving forward. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. So if everyone who's tuned into today's episode, guys, make sure you take a, a screenshot of today's show if you've enjoyed it and got some value out of it and post it up on your story for us. Tag myself, tag Billy. I'll have links to his socials and also bold in the uh, in the show notes as well. Um, but again, man, thanks a lot and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.